Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning. Ooh, came in a little bit hot there. Yeah, so we, uh, we've been talking about family, and uh, we're going to jump into that in a minute. In fact, uh, this weekend, one of our uh, our core values as a church is a community that becomes family. And this particular weekend is one of the great opportunities where we really lean into that because uh, after the service out in the main lobby, we have a small group connector. And uh, Tom's going to tell you a bit more about that. But we've got over 20 of our groups that are open uh, out there and a chance for you to kind of take the next step if you're not in in a community, if you're not in a group where you can connect with other people. That's what that's what this weekend is all about. It's a form of family and a really important form of family. So we've been talking about family for a few weeks here. And uh, this weekend, we're talking about conflict. Brittany said to me, she goes, I love this topic. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, I just love it. I'm like, that's because you're not married yet. You will grow. Uh, true story. Tammy this week said to me, she said, so what's this weekend about? And I'm like, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. I said, conflict, conflict. She goes, yeah, yeah, I read the, I read the weekly email. So what are the, what are the two questions we're going to be talking about that help us solve conflict? I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing. You got to come to church to find out, you know? So, so hard, right? It's like the rubber meets the road. Like sometimes I feel like we need, wouldn't this be great, like an in-house referee who saw everything and just call it out, right? Offensive language, that's five yards. Yes, I saw that eye roll. Ten yards for an eye roll, ten yards. You rolled your eyes teenager talking back oh automatic first down <laughs> automatic first down parent talking back to teenager talking back offsetting fouls you're both out of the game right man so much home late without a call oh start all over <laughs> but of course family doesn't come with a referee. No, this is, this is the old, if you, uh, if you grew up playing basketball, there was a version of this called call your own fouls. This is when you're just kind of playing pickup ball. Call your own fouls. And honestly, call your own fouls means don't you dare call a foul. In fact, we had a saying for this growing up in Springfield. Some of you have heard it. No blood, no foul. And I think sometimes that's our, that's our, our mantra. No blood, no foul. Call your own fouls. Because honestly, call your own fouls is, whew, it's not always working great. John Gottman, one of my favorite authors on the topic of marriage, and he's not a Christian author, but he's been running a research lab for decades now 
Um, it's got the creepiest name. It's called the Love Lab. I wish they would have never called it that. But the research is fascinating on marriage and couples and their ability within a very short period, literally minutes of observing a couple in this lab to observe couples and to predict with accuracy their likelihood of marital success or their destiny for divorce, all in how they interact and have conversations. Gottman actually looked at conflict and he categorized conflict into four buckets that I thought were, I thought were pretty, pretty helpful, but I've renamed them. Here's how I've done it. So he called his first bucket volatile. Um, this was people that had big fights and big makeups. They were professional fighters. I mean, they were both geared for it. I call this, I call this the good and ugly crowd. They just know how to be, boy, good and ugly, but the good usually wins out. The second one he called validating. These are the, these are the peacemakers. I call these the pretty ugly people. Have you ever, you ever argued with a, a peacemaker? Oh my gosh, it's an, the most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> I mean, just get angry with me. Just, you know, respond. Uh, the peacemaker, the, the validator. His, his third group was, he calls avoiding. I call this invisible ugly, right? Or it's still ugly. This is, this is the one who just stuff it, hide it, forget it. It'll fix itself on its own. We're not actually fighting. And then his fourth group was what he called hostile. I call this the ugly, ugly group. This is, this is the fight when I suspect you don't actually even like each other. I mean, it's just hostile. I mean, this looks like a cage match. So Gottman made an interesting observation about this, uh, and, and his observation was this, that that there was a ratio in conflict in marital life that was a predictor of success, and it was a five-to-one ratio. Five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. And, and, and couples, and, and really, this spanned across almost all of the different conflict groups, this five-to-one Ratio, except the last group, the ugly, ugly, the hostile, tended to have tipped into a place where that five positive interactions to one negative interaction kind of slipped over into more hostile, more negative than positive. Hmm. It's all interesting, but it doesn't actually tell us like what to do, like. How do we actually resolve conflict? I mean, it's nice to be able to spot it. It might even be able to be fun to be able to identify your, you know, your, your conflict type. But it doesn't give us a way to resolve it in the long term. James, though, in his little book, does just that. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's one of those kind of linchpin chapters I keep going back to in my own devotional time. In about 10 verses space, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, 
James offers uh, a process for understanding our conflict and resolving it. And I think in doing so, he offers us two questions. And those are the two questions I want us to sort of lean into today, because I think that they are the questions that help us to begin to actually do something with the conflict. But I, I want to make a qualification about the questions and about what James says before we go into it. Like, like many things, you might imagine, this is no magic pill. These aren't magic questions. They don't instantly, just because you've asked them, fix things. They actually require, near as I can tell, two things that are really, really important. Here's the first thing. They require humility. That's a big qualification. They require humility. And here's the problem. Most of us aren't humble until we're humbled. Let that sink in. Most of us, okay, scratch that. All of us aren't humble until we've been humbled. And so it may be that what this is good for today is just to kind of have in the back of your memory bank because you may not be there yet. You may think you're there. You may think you're not there, but you may not be there yet. But when you get there, remember these two questions. The second thing it requires is it requires a belief in the activity of God in your life. And I know some of you are here and you're exploring faith and Jesus Christ and God in your life and what that looks like. And, and, and man, I so welcome that and you into the conversation. But here's the reality. You'll find that by the end of this, like a linchpin is, where does God fit into this story? And, and that piece of it, you may not be there yet, but you may find what he offers so compelling that it's a reason for you to take that step into faith. So, with those two things said, let's jump back to our questions and into James chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Let me just read to you verses 1 and part of verse 2. It says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to, to get it. And you're thinking, I haven't killed anybody yet, so you're off the hook. But scheming, that's another thing. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight. You wage war. Verbal, emotional, war, to take it away from them. Hmm. Well, there's the question. Right there at the beginning of verse 1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Or, put another way, where is this coming from? That's the first question. Just in the middle of the conflict, in the, when, you, when you feel the tension rising, where is this 
tension, this conflict, this feeling? Where is it actually coming from? And the text gives us a clue. Did you, did you catch what it did? It, it actually says you want what you don't have. That's an interesting hint. It's, it's a clue. It tells us that this conflict outside of us is coming from someplace inside of me. It's coming from an empty place. There's something in me that I don't have, and it's resulting in a conflict on the outside of me. And the other thing that it says is that there's a, there's a battle within you. There's a, there, there's a tension. There's a war. There's, there's a fight going on. It's, it's saying that the conflict outside of you, the thing that's happening out there is because of something that's in here. And you'd better figure out what it is. Where is this coming from? Why do I feel this way? And he gives a hint. He said, it's because there's something missing. There's an empty spot in you. And he gives another hint because there's a battle. There's a battle in your, in your soul, in your spirit, in your mind. You, it's, it's a battle with evil, like you want stuff. And you don't always want the right stuff. There's, there's like this, this fight. Now, now I know you're thinking like, well, I thought the, I thought we were going to talk about the conflict out there, but the conflict out there actually is in here. Let me, let me give you a, a, an illustration of this. Purely, purely hypothetical. This is not about me or our house, but let's say you have a kitchen and let's say you and your spouse are in the kitchen. And let's say there's a relatively narrow gap between your kitchen island and your refrigerator. Not that, there, not that that's true. It could be true, but I'm not saying it's true. And, and let's say in the morning, you, you're, you're just, you're ready. You're ready to go. You're, you're, you're busy and got to bring home the bacon. You got stuff to do. And your spouse is taking their time in front of the refrigerator. And you want to get there. I am a, I mean, hypothetically, I know some world-class sires Hypothetically speaking, of course, doesn't happen for me because I know the two questions. But my wife doesn't know the questions yet. <laughs> Just saying, it could be. Where is that coming from? Right? Where, where is that? Now, you, you'll notice something that I'll often use you know, trivial examples. Because in the trivial, we can see the weighty, right? You can, you, you can, you can translate it down to the heavier things. Where's that coming from? Is it really coming from the traffic jam at the refrigerator? 
Really? Is the is this unusual tension <laughs> all about the 30 seconds? And that tension can last out the door, into the car, to the office. What is up with that? Where is it coming from? Because here's the truth. The reason usually isn't the reason. What you're angry about is probably not the traffic jam at the refrigerator. What you're frustrated with, what you're feeling tension over is probably not that. And and here's what James is saying. James is saying, where is it coming from? There's something in here that's missing. There's something in here that is empty and hurting a bit and looking for something and creating this. It's the reason behind the reason. You see, you have to start there. You have to start with that question. Where is this coming from? Because as you begin to sort of run that to the ground and you wrestle with it, you'll, you'll come to what he says Next, and what he gives us is a, as a plan forward and a second question. Here's what it says in the latter part of verse two. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You could read that so fast that you just skip right over it. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. See, once you, once you find out, once you wrestle to the ground, where is this coming from, you'll know what to ask for. So maybe the question then is, how would I ask God for this? Or maybe can I ask God? He, he goes on to say, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will, will give you pleasure. He's sort of qualifying it. He says, you know, sometimes there's things that you say, well, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, they're conflicts because I want this. And, and then he says, and sometimes when you ask, it's just like, so how would I ask God for this? Because when you phrase it that way, when you phrase it as how would I ask God for this, you realize that there's some things that would be like, oh, I probably shouldn't. Like that doesn't, this doesn't sound, it doesn't sound great, right? Like how would I, like God, I, 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 I hypothetically speaking, I want my wife out of the kitchen, doesn't sound right. And it's quite not true. 
You see, how would I ask God for this? When you, when you wrestle the real reason, where's this coming from? You, you, you begin to be in a place where you recognize that the, that, that the challenge, that the, the issue is something that's, that's coming from inside of me. And that means that I can begin to phrase it as a, a question. How would I ask God for this? And you say, well, Ben, I thought you, this is going to be about my conflict with them, not my conflict with, with God and with me. See, the easy thing to do in a, in a message about conflict is to give you five steps on how to initiate a conversation, like say things like, uh, you know, uh, state clearly how you're feeling, use a soft introduction, talk about how you feel. And those are nothing, nothing wrong with those, but those are, just, those are just tools for navigating through the conversation of conflict. And what I'm trying to do is like go one level down Deeper, because when we go one level deeper, we start to ask ourselves, like, 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 where is this coming from, and how would I ask God for this? Because what I'll realize sometime is that I'm asking the reason I have conflict in my life is because I'm asking someone for something that only God can actually give to me. What I really want, what I really need, how I'm really hurting. What I'm really struggling with, the uncertainty, the insecurity, the lack of significance, all of these things, the rejection, the things that I'm feeling inside of me, I'm asking you for when in reality, only God can give it to me. And I'm asking you for something that only God can do. How do we ever solve that conflict? <laughs> Two questions. Where is this coming from? And how would I ask God for this? Like, how would I put these, these needs, this, this emptiness, this, this war that's happening inside of me? How would I put that into the words of a prayer request to him? I think I love this passage so much. I told some of our uh, serve team this morning that this passage is one of my favorites, which is surprising because it's a pretty dark passage. You know, where does all the conflict come from? Doesn't it come from the war that's in you? You know, you fight and you kill to get it. And who, who makes that their favorite passage? But somehow over time, and I think it's because of verse 10. Here's what verse 10 says. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I've always struggled with that verse. Let me tell you why. I, I, when, when I read that, I don't necessarily feel comfortable asking God for honor. 
I mean, that's what he says. You know, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will honor you. Some have a translation that says exalt you. I've always read that, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, Lord, would you, you know, how, how do you ask for that? Like, like is, that a, is that a good prayer request? Like, God, give me honor. Oh, it feels weird. God, exalt me. And yet, and yet here in this passage, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He's, he's, he's actually, uh, you know, using the words of Jesus in, in, in multiple of the Gospels where he says the, the humble will be exalted. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will give you honor. But it turns out that this verse is the culmination of this passage, right? So watch. Where is this coming from? Isn't this fight really from someplace deep inside of you that's empty? There's a war. You want something and you don't have it. But if you would humble yourself, for him and ask for it. He will give you honor. What does that mean? I don't, it, this whole passage is talking about what happens on the inside of you, so I don't think that this is an external honor, like he's going to make you famous or wealthy, or that, and I don't, think that's the, I don't think that's the principle at play, because the whole passage has been about something that's happening inside of you. He's going to put inside of you the thing that's empty. He's going to replace the rejection with acceptance, the insignificance with significance, and the insecurity with security. The place inside of us that's empty because it's insecure, and we wonder if we're ever going to find certainty and security. That is filled in him. The place inside of us that feels insignificant and like we don't matter and like no one around us cares if we're alive that creates all of this tension and all of this exhaustion and all of this fighting. He fills it with his significance because he comes into our life and he gives us the honor, the uncertainty that causes us so much anxiousness and so much fear and so much worry is solved in him once we find and we humble ourselves before him and we discover that in him, in Jesus Christ, I have everything I need. And in that place where we humble ourselves before him, there's one translation that translates this this way. When I bow down before God and admit my dependence on him, he will lift us up and give us honor. I love that. So, that's where it comes from. That's how we take our conflict Leverage it for good. We ask ourselves, where is this coming from? And how would I ask God for that? Because when I do, and I bow down before him, and I admit my dependence on him, he gives me in my soul the honor, the 
the acceptance, the significance, the security that my soul longs for that enables me to leverage my conflict for good. Do you see why this requires those two things? Humility and God? There's no, no mere manipulation of language to get through a conflict. This is God's going to do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. Because I can't resolve a conflict inside of me with someone outside of me. This is something only God can do. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking, Ben, I don't have that kind of relationship with God, but I want it. I want it. I want that kind of abiding presence in my life with Jesus Christ, and I'm ready to say yes to him. And if that's you, I want to finish by giving you a chance to do just that. So, would you bow with me as we finish this? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're, you're here and you find yourself just in the middle of conflict. In a marriage, in a dating relationship, maybe it's with your children or with a parent. Maybe it's with siblings. Here's what we know. Family is hard. And I'm not saying that the conflict doesn't matter. I'm saying that the resolution to conflict probably lays within you. Where is this coming from? What's this empty piece inside of me? And how would I ask God for that? That certainty, that security, that significance. And maybe you need just this quiet moment to ask him for that. To humble yourself before him. And just say, God, there's something empty. The reason's not the reason. The reason is in here. There's something that, there's some certainty, there's some security, there's some significance that's just been beat up and left by the side of the road and I feel empty. And you've been asking people to fill what only God himself can fill. And maybe you'd ask him for that. Maybe you're here and it's event I'm ready to take that step of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you just in the quiet of the moment, just where you're seated or even watching online, to just 
Humble yourself, as it were, before him. In your heart, in prayer. Tell him you need him. You need his forgiveness, his grace. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Let me lead you in a prayer that does just that. I don't think repeating a prayer is an act of faith. But I think when you pray from your heart, that is, and he hears it. You might pray something like this, dear God, I need you. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you died for me so that I could be forgiven. And I believe you rose again, proving you were who you said you were, the only begotten Son of God. Today, I trust in you as my Savior. I invite you into my life. I want to live my life fully because of you. In Jesus' name.